Meet Yelp for Restaurants. Not the software company, but the people who love restaurants so much they formed a team dedicated to our industry. Before Catherine joined the customer success team, she managed the modern in New York. Yeah, that modern. Before Julia joined the team, she worked at Oshaval in Chicago for half a decade. Yelp is for restaurants because our people are restaurant people. Meet the new Yelp at restaurants.yelp.com forward slash podcast. Now here we go. While I don't have an exact number for you of what the cost might be, we do have internal kind of numbers. It's sort of on the same order of magnitude as building out a pizza restaurant, a Domino's. Really? Yeah, absolutely. And a part of why we can get the cost so low is we actually have a team of ex-SpaceX engineers, I think, on staff. We have <laughs> currently the company is 30 people and we have about 24 ex-SpaceX employees. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators. Served up on the house. For decades, we've heard the tales that one day robots would come to take our jobs. Well, today is that day. On this episode, we're chatting with Benson Tsai, an engineer turned restaurateur who took top talent from SpaceX and leveraged their genius to create an autonomous pizzeria. Today, we discuss the jobs his robots are taking and the opportunities that presents for all of us. I know a lot of people who've sort of retired from their day job just to open a restaurant or open a coffee shop. So it's not that unheard of to go into food service after a career in something else. But I guess kind of just rolling back into my backstory, uh, I was born and raised in Los Angeles, the son of immigrant parents who moved to Los Angeles from Taiwan. And they actually opened a fish and chips restaurant here in the LA area, Alhambra specifically. But food has always been an important part of my family's life. I consider myself a big foodie, and whenever I move to a new city or move to a new area, I'm always out on the lookout for the best and the greatest restaurants to try. But during my school journey, I was interested in some of the more difficult things that were taught. And so math and science, I naturally gravitated towards math and science because in school, those are sort of the challenging, usually the more challenging topics. And so I excelled in math and science and ended up deciding that I wanted to become an engineer. And so I went to a school called Harvey Mudd College here in Los Angeles. That's a very small liberal arts engineering school, sort of shaped my early years. Liberal Arts Engineering School. <laughs> that had to be fascinating. It is a unique beast. When I was at the school, it was 600 to 800 students. And the focus is like engineering for a reason, not just engineering for engineering's sake. I love and that. So a third of the courses that we take at Harvey Mudd are centered around kind of the impact of the technology that we develop. And you'll notice that that is sort of a theme kind of to my career. Let me ask you about that. So anyone that owns or operates restaurants and has kids, those kids grow up in those restaurants. And you seem to have a very analytical mind. And so I can imagine that probably from a young age or early adolescence, you would look at the operations of a restaurant and just see the glaring inefficiencies. Yeah. That and as entrepreneurs, my parents also, they left the restaurant business fairly early on and ended up starting their own businesses. And so I, I spent a lot of time actually at my mother's business, which was an after-school tutoring center where I would observe how people learn, how people 
interact with each other. And so that has played a large role in how I run my company. So you graduated from college and then? And then I thought I wanted to be a professor for a little bit. Uh, Went to get a PhD in chemical engineering at the University of Minnesota, but it was too cold for me. (laughs) (laughs) I, I got out of Dodge as fast as I could and ended up moving to Silicon Valley where I started an electric truck company with some friends, electric trucks and buses. The company was called Motive Power Systems. And so I cut my teeth in Silicon Valley. I learned how to build how to do hard things at the time you know that was the place to be for startups what does that curriculum look like like that real world curriculum Mm -hmm. so because you know everybody talks about cutting their teeth in silicon valley what do you think of the skills you acquired and the knowledge you learned that has served you throughout your entrepreneurial career yeah i think the first and foremost as i mentioned earlier around like enjoying doing hard things i think what i realized in the business world was that Math and science are actually the easy things because they're so predictable. There are laws of physics that govern how things work, whereas in the business world, it's just all over the place, right? The emotions, you can't easily predict outcomes. And so that was really, really eye-opening for me. I realized that I wasn't actually learning the hard things until I got out into the world and started fundraising, started building, started managing. That was the big kind of revelation for me. So you ran big companies, but then you also worked for big companies too, right? Yeah, yeah. So I actually joined Lucid Motors, which is this Tesla competitor right now. But I was there early days and had the opportunity to work in Asia and do more electric vehicle engineering for about three years before then moving back to Los Angeles, where I worked at SpaceX for five years, designing battery systems for the spaceship and the satellites. All right. People aren't going to forgive me unless I ask. What was it like working at SpaceX? It was incredible. It was challenging. It was a high-pressure environment, but it felt liberating. I sort of had a blank check to design and build the coolest battery system on and off this planet, really. And for me, it felt very different than starting my own company. It was less stress because I didn't have payroll to worry about. I didn't have HR things to deal with, right? And so it was fun. I really enjoyed my time there. But the expectations are very high at a company that is run by Elon. And so you decided to retire early and get into food service. (laughs) That's right. right. (laughs) I mean, after working at SpaceX for five years, I sort of took a look at what I had accomplished during my tenure there. And it was 76 rocket launches. My name was etched on the car that we sent to space that's like orbiting Mars or ish. And I thought through, I was like, okay, I got to change it up. I can't stay in aerospace. I feel like that was an entire aerospace engineer's career in the span of five years, right? Wow. Yeah. And it was after five years, I was like ready to change it up. And I have this theory that everyone should work. Everyone's life or careers are made up of these like three to five year pushes. And and so I was ready to kind of change directions a little bit. And at that point in my life, I took a look at what resources I had available to myself. I had a great network in hardware engineers or some of the best engineers in the world, as well as contacts within Silicon Valley. And I decided to pursue my real true passion of really food. I think I just love food so much. And to combine all of that is what I'm doing now. And I'm really enjoying it. So let me ask you about that specifically, because most of us get into food service. We get into the restaurant industry because we love people or we're passionate about cooking. And then most foodies just enjoy going 
two restaurants. What I'm trying to figure out, and for the folks listening, we're going to dig into the innovation that you've created within the industry. But did you enter the industry trying to solve a perceived problem that you saw related to labor or execution? Or did you just want to open a restaurant and created these solutions because you're like an engineer? (laughs) That's how you would get things done. Obviously, you would build robots. Yeah, yeah. It was, a, I guess, a combination, but more glaring. Like, there was a moment in my time at SpaceX where I ordered DoorDash, and I opened the door, and there was, like, a 10-year-old kid handing me my food. And it was just a moment where I was, like, obviously, I, like, found a $20 bill and gave right. it to the kid. But then I realized, like, something was fundamentally broken about how we get our food delivered. If people are being exploited or people have to use their kids to kind of be more efficient, you know, the mom can't afford Obviously, the mom was driving the car, but like they can't afford daycare or something. It just felt very, very broken. And that's when I started looking into solutions or methods to help society solve this problem. And that's been my career thus far. Like I worked on electric vehicles because I thought I wanted to be in the clean tech space. And then space was just get us off this planet and head towards Mars. That was the dream, right? And so now I'm really, really focused on the problem that is some of the inequalities in the restaurant industry. So you started a pizza joint. Why pizza specifically? So I looked at delivery, right? And if you look at the numbers, pizza is still the most delivered item. And personally, growing up, pizza was one of the only non-Chinese foods that my parents would allow in the house. (laughs) So it is definitely one of my favorites. That and In-N-Out, those are the only food items that were not Chinese food that we would be able to buy on our way home. And so I just love pizza. It's everywhere. Not a single person I talked to was like, oh, I hate pizza. And so, yeah, no, pizza is beloved by everyone. And I think it's also reasonably easy to automate. Let's talk about that. So when you were envisioning not just the pizza restaurant and the brand and all that, which doesn't make you unique at all. Every restaurateur does that. You lay awake at night. This is going to be my color palette. This is what my logo is going to look like. People are going to wear it on T-shirts. That is just a universal trait that as entrepreneurs, as restaurateurs, we all have. But at the same time you were daydreaming about that, you were also daydreaming about like a new organizational infrastructure for that pizza restaurant. Can you talk to me about, one, how a traditional pizza operation works, and then, two, how yours works? Yeah, yeah. So a traditional pizza operation, you have, if you look at your, inside your Domino's, there's actually very little seating, typically, right? It's just a kitchen that caters to carry out and delivery of pizza. And in the back of house, you buy kitchen equipment, and you have people, you have employees opening the dough, you have employees adding the sauce by hand and putting toppings and then putting it into an oven. But that whole process is actually incredibly repetitive and typically considered not the most enjoyable thing you want to be doing for a You could just say, nobody wants to do that shit. Like People aren't like standing in line trying to get that job. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. They're just working those jobs to get by. And my thoughts around why I think automation is interesting in the space is that it can remove the repetitive jobs and do... I call it the meaningful reallocation of labor, right? We get to save some money for everyone. We we have lower menu prices. We can have higher paid workers and they can be in positions where they're interacting with customers. But in terms of how our operation works, it's literally a machine. It's a magic box 
that creates a pizza in four and a half minutes. So it does everything. Raw dough balls go in and they're proofed off the vehicle, but they go into this machine and are stored there until a pizza order comes in. And when the order comes in, the machine notes to output a dough ball onto the dough press where the dough ball is opened via a double-sided press, heated press. And then it gets its topping, it gets its sauce, it gets its cheese and whatever toppings are ordered on that pizza. And then it gets put into an oven and cooked. I would also think that would help with cogs, right? Because the process is standardized. It's not determined by the size of somebody's hand. That's right. That's right. It's very, very reliable. We can produce a very consistent pizza without having to train anyone on how to make pizza, which allows you to have a very consistent customer experience at the end of the day. Now, where are there humans involved? When I envision this in my own mind, I imagine you in an all-black outfit like Tom Cruise in Minority Report <laughs> with like the gloves on and a screen and you're like moving things from one side to the other. How is it possible for humans to be directly involved in an automated process? Yeah, yeah. So humans still need to load the ingredients. So our process, our system is actually everything's on a truck so that we can ultimately cook and deliver, right? The self-driving car industry is nowhere near ready. And so we still have people in our cars. And the important part of that is also the human element to when we ultimately deliver pizzas, we want to be able to control the customer experience. I know that fear, the fear of losing everything or almost as bad, the fear that you'll have to grind on for years at the restaurant without things ever getting better. Hope is nice, but you need help. So I'm going to leverage my 20 years in this industry and the 200 interviews I've done to give you the help that you need. I'm hosting a free webinar this month called The Scaling Session. Over 90 minutes together, I'm going to lay out exactly what you need to do to scale profitability, scale brand awareness, and scale customer frequency. Go to restaurantwebinar.com to sign up today. To make sure that everybody gets what they need from the event, seating is limited. I'm only allowing 25 guests so that you all get the individualized attention that you deserve. Go to restaurantwebinar.com to secure your spot today. What is the customer service experience? When people order from your pizza joint, what does it look like? Are they doing it on a phone? Are they calling in? Is it through an app? How does it work? Yeah, so our goal is not to change anyone's habits. Like We're not trying to get them to do anything different than how they normally get food. And so it would be on our app. If you see it, you should be able to order at the truck if you see it on the street, right? Well, it's not moving. Um, and the whole point is to not change people's habits and just get them a better, faster, more affordable pizza. So it would be our own app experience. We're not there yet, but the long-term vision is to be able to lower prices based on proximity to our customer, right? Let's talk about value prop. So what is ultimately the value prop to the pizza? Is it that it's the best tasting pizza you've ever had, highest quality ingredients, because it's not an artisanal process, right? So what is it that you're pitching? Yeah, it's affordability at the end of the day, affordability and speed, right? Something that's really consistent that can be made very quickly. It's what I call uh, outrageous value. If you think about restaurants like In-N-Out or Chick-fil-A, why do people go there? It's because the food quality is good for the money. It's not gourmet. It's not high end but it's incredibly delicious, right? This whole infrastructure feels very expensive to me. <laughs> Talk to me about what it costs to build the restaurant of the future. Yeah, so the past 10 years or so, 
we've seen the cost of automation, the cost of robotics drop precipitously. We're seeing automation used in everyday things, and we're sort of following that trend. So while I don't have an exact number for you of what the cost might be, we do have internal kind of numbers. It's sort of on the same order of magnitude as building out a pizza restaurant, a Domino's. Really? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And a part of why we can get the cost so low is we actually have a team of ex-SpaceX engineers, I think, on staff. We have <laughs> currently the company is 30 people and we have about 24 ex-SpaceX employees, right? <laughs> so what we've taken is our methodology. Like if you look at SpaceX, raw materials show up on the docks and a, a rocket gets made. But SpaceX doesn't sell the rockets. They only sell rides to space, right? Right. And that's sort of our philosophy. Well, SpaceX does it at a cost that's one third the cost of everyone else. Mm-hmm. And so the approach that we're taking to Stellar Pizza is absolutely the same. We're controlling the costs of everything by designing most of the technology ourselves and not relying on third-party sources. We've designed our own oven. We've designed our own electronics that control all the motion systems. And that is how we're able to deliver a machine that looks expensive, but actually is quite reasonably priced. Now, is this like a Tesla model where they built out their own tech and then they began to license that tech out to other auto manufacturers? Yeah, Tesla doesn't, I don't think they do that anymore. They did in the early days when they were trying to figure out their business model. For me, it's never say never, but I believe that we need to showcase what the technology is capable of to prove to the world that this technology is interesting. And so we're going to be operating all of our own vehicles for the next few years until it makes sense to consider other strategies. Does it make sense to do a brick and mortar in this model? I think from a brand perspective, it makes sense to build a brick and mortar, but a lot of those decisions are still up in the air. Did you guys fundraise for this project? We did. We've raised $9 million so far from traditional venture capital. I'm dying to hear how that conversation went. (laughs) So this is an industry that makes almost no money. The failure rate is incredibly high. We're not going to space, but we might as well try for the amount of money we're raising. And we're going to use robots to do everything. It's going to be great. I need $10 million. <laughs> if you kind of say exactly what you said about some of the other startups, this is Silicon Valley. This is They live and breathe risk. Like They look for inefficient industries that yeah. are not very profitable. And if you can disrupt it in some way, they're happy to write that check, right? Our main backers are Root Ventures, Collaborative Fund, and Crosslink Capital. And both Ventures and Collaborative Fund have invested in other food robotics companies. So they're very excited about the potential for robotics to have an impact. But the fundraising process is pretty standard for Silicon Valley. I mean, personally, I'm excited, too. I think that you're opening the door for people to get better jobs. That's what I see here. The jobs that nobody wants, the entry-level positions that people are forced to take so that they can work their way up through the ranks. When those are gone, it's going to free up, one, I think, a higher living wage. And then it's also going to give restaurateurs the opportunity to create new positions within the restaurant that they couldn't otherwise afford. I'm sure you know independent restaurateurs, so I'm sure you can appreciate this. But like we all have a list of like half a dozen to a dozen positions that we would love to fill if we could actually afford to pay those people. Absolutely. And the other side of that is also a lower cost of living for all of society, right? Every news article I read, this, you know, in the past two weeks, it's been like, oh, food costs are rising. You see Starbucks raising prices. I think automation is really one of the only ways to keep the cost of living low. So that's what gets me excited about working on this technology. It's to create higher value jobs and to keep the cost of living low for everyone. 
What is the revenue model for a truck? How many trucks do you have on the road right now? So we're not launched yet. We're a pre-launch restaurant, and oh my so God. we're still Are you designing. nervous. <laughs> Absolutely nervous, uh, excited, <laughs> but nervous, right? I can't wait for the first day where we're like actually servicing people. I'm like, are people going to show up? Like that's a moment that most people have when they open businesses. Yeah, well, in the restaurant industry, it's a bit unique because it's a two-parter, right? Will they show up and will they be angry? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. So what is your revenue model? That's what I'm trying to figure out. Like, how much money do you think each truck is going to make? How much do you think you're going to take to the bottom line? Yeah, our first generation truck was designed with Domino's, your average pizza restaurant in mind. So the goal is to make $600 million in revenue per vehicle. And our vehicles store 440 dough balls worth of ingredients. So if we're to sell those, if we were to sell those for sub $10, we'd need to sell two, 300 a day. And are those the estimates? Those are the targets you're going to try and hit? Yeah, those are the targets. And if things go really, really well, we might refill the truck between lunch and dinner, right? That we're not capped out. So now let's talk about marketing, advertising, branding. What are your philosophies there? Because I'm sure that you've taken lessons from Silicon Valley when it comes to launching a new brand. Yeah, yeah. The food industry is very, very unique in that, like, you get one chance to make your first impression and then that sort of affects whether or not they want to come back. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so for me, branding, marketing, it's one of the reasons we hired Debbie Goldberg, who has built a pizza franchise here in Los Angeles called Fresh Brothers Pizza. Yeah. She was one of the co-founders. Her and her husband built that empire together. I always laugh because I spent my early career post-2008 in a recession building an electric truck company. And then we hired Debbie, who built her pizza company in 2008 post-recession. Mm -hmm. And now we're building this pizza truck company together. So, so it's, it's interesting. But yeah, the marketing effort is I love to learn new things and always be on that learning curve. And so for me, the branding and the marketing is something that I'm learning a lot about. What's the plan? How do you intend to position yourselves? Because I can't imagine you guys are going to go out and be like, yo, choose us. We're cheap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we are going to be affordable just because, but that's not going to be our like main exactly. tagline. Right. I have this theory that pizza is all about fun. You have it as a food delivery company, what we're going to be delivering into someone's household is fun and happiness, right? And so if you look at our branding thus far, it's very much around this fun, whimsical brand. But the reason why we think it's fun is because as kids at parties, you always have pizza because it's like the most affordable way to feed large groups of people. And so as we grow up, we just have pizza at many of the fun moments in our lives. And so that's sort of how I think about our brand in terms of the emotions that we want to impart on our customers. But from a marketing perspective, are you guys going to be omni-channel? Like, is the plan, let's become TikTok famous, we'll be all over Instagram, we're going to have our own Facebook group. Are you guys focused on buying lists and doing email marketing? Is it event-based? What I'm trying to figure out is, because I would assume, you know, you've got money behind this, and yeah. most restaurateurs don't. And you also have a very interesting perspective going into this. Practically, how do you intend to market and launch? We haven't launched yet. So anything I tell you now could change in the future. But I do envision us having our trucks at special events to showcase the technology, to showcase the pizza. I'm very proud of where the pizza is today and excited for people to come and taste it. But yeah, the strategies are being written as we speak. As with any startup, we're always moving fast and just working <laughs> on the next thing that is hot. And so 
I can't speak to the specifics about how we're going to be hitting the road, but you can expect us to be on all the typical kind of modern channels, uh, marketing channels. When do you estimate you guys are going to launch? In the summer. Talk to me about core values. Today's diner wants to patronize restaurants that have similar ideologies. And this is a very process-driven company, which will eventually make it a profit-driven company. But I've got to imagine that you started this with an intention. And I'm curious to know, how do you scale core values in a business that is comprised of robots? Yeah, in my opinion, robots are cool. I'm an engineer. You know, I'd love to talk to you about <laughs> robots all day. But because I went to this liberal arts engineering school, it's really about technology in service of a greater goal, right? And for me, that goal is being able to provide access to affordable, high-quality foods. And so the robotics here are in service of this core value of everyone should be able to eat good food. And so robotics allow us to make a much more consistent product because you don't have to train anyone. It's going to be faster because we'll be in your neighborhoods. We'll be cooking as close to the point of consumption as possible. And it will be affordable because our cost structure is such that we don't have the back of house labor costs and we don't necessarily have the full burden of real estate costs with our restaurant. Talk to me about values and ideology. When I opened my fine dining restaurant, the vision there was, I truly believe, because I grew up on it, that Southern food, the comfort food, is art. It's family. It's something that actually feeds the soul. And so in order to prove that to people at scale, I created a mission-rated fine dining restaurant, mm -hmm. right, to elevate it, to put it on a podium so that people could see what this amazing cuisine is. And it was a representation of how it felt to me. And so I'm wondering, from an ideological perspective, right, you obviously saw a problem and you created a solution and you loved the particular cuisine because you grew up with it as a child. But what does success look like to you outside of scaling and money? What does winning look like in this? Yeah, to me, winning looks like a happier society. A part of why I enjoy also building companies is because I get to build a culture that results in greater happiness. And so if you think through the food that we're delivering, it's also spreading joy and happiness throughout society. And so for me, success looks like people smiling more overall. The net number of smiles in society should go up based on the success of Stellar Pizza, whether it be internally at our company or externally because the working mom can afford pizza for her children and not have to worry about dinner. You know, I ask a lot of people that I sit across from and I say, you know, what's your five-year plan? What's your 10-year plan? And half the time I'm like, there's no way this person has a five or 10-year plan, <laughs> you know? But you, Benson, you feel like a man that has a five-year or a 10-year plan. Tell me what it is. Yeah, for Stellar Pizza, the five-year plan is a few hundred trucks in multiple cities in the United States and really, really just making sure people have access to our food, our pizza. The 10-year plan is hopefully we are able to maintain food costs at a very, very reasonable level relative to everything else. And I genuinely do think like automation is coming or it's already here. If you look into the back of McDonald's, you see the drinks. There's no human making that drink for you, right? There's a human that hands it to you. But I think automation is going to play a large role in the future of food, regardless of opinions. You're an outsider that's become an insider. This is an industry podcast, and I'm curious to know, 
if you have any advice or words of encouragement you'd like to share with the audience. Yeah. I mean, just observing my friends who are restaurateurs, it's so much harder than building a startup, like building a venture back startup. I admire all of my acquaintances and friends that are in a kitchen trying to serve people food. I have a lot of respect for what they do. And I actually genuinely think my job is a little bit easier because I get to gather resources and build in a different way than most restaurateurs. In terms of advice, I'm an engineer at heart. Process and analytics and data is core to who I am. And I think anyone who wants to start a restaurant or is operating a restaurant, I encourage them to look at the numbers more closely or find a friend, find an engineering friend who can help you massage the numbers and make sure you're operating in a way that makes sense to be profitable. You don't have to be that profitable, but your business still needs to make sense in order for you to stick around. And so I'd say like, open that Excel spreadsheet and dig in and don't be afraid of the numbers or find friends who can help. That's Ben's Inside. For more on Stellar Pizza, visit eatstellarpizza.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.